welcome back to the Sideline Live podcast. You can follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at the Sideline Live. We'd love to hear from you. On episode 102, I'm joined to be joined by Tokyo 2020 Olympic boxer Emmett Brennan. On this episode, Emmett details his career, the setbacks he's had to endure, supporting himself through credit union loans, his mindset, training, injuries, and so much more. I hope you enjoy. Hi Emmett, thanks a million for joining me on the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Before we get into everything, would you mind giving a quick elevator pitch to the listeners who might not know who you are? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm an Irish international boxer. I've boxed for Ireland for the last five to six years. Um, I've represented Ireland in Tokyo 2020 or 2021, whatever you want to call it. And then I've represented Ireland, yeah, for the last five or six years um, across Europeans, multi-nations, two-time Irish elite champion. And yeah, it looks that that's me in a nutshell. I've outside of boxing, I'm, I don't have a lot going on for me. Okay, very good. Yeah, for you growing up, um, Emmett, what was it like growing up in North Strand? Talk us through a little bit of your childhood. Um, who or what got you involved in boxing as well? Um, growing up, it was good. Like, um, it's, it's a working class neighbourhood. Um, not exactly a bad neighbourhood, not great either. Um, I was never really in trouble as a kid. It was, yeah, it was a bit, I was very, very introverted, but I was, um, I was very good at sports, so no matter what sport I went into, I was quite decent or above average at, um, which is probably rare in kids to be good at everything they go into. They normally have a niche where they'd be very good at one sport. I was just, I was lucky enough to just take the sports very, very quick. And um, as I said, I was tr- quite introverted, so that helped me come out of my shell a little bit. Um, predominantly, I would have played soccer up till 10. And then I joined the boxing club at 10 years of age. And I suppose from there, I just loved the sport. I loved the individual aspect of it. Although I played in team sports and I loved playing team sports. Um, in a team sport, you're dependent on other people to perform as well. Uh, in boxing, yeah, obviously you need a good coach and a good backroom staff, but you're the one that puts the hours in. And you, if you don't perform, you don't win. If you perform well enough, you do win. I suppose I loved the, it was the independence of boxing that I got hooked on, I think. Do you think it was also being able to kind of put that responsibility on yourself rather than relying on 10 other teammates on the soccer pitch that you can say, right, I've put in the work here. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I've really put the effort in because I'm doing it for myself. And maybe sometimes when you're a team, some people don't take it as seriously, which is totally fine. But when you're, you know, when you have big sporting aspirations and when you're competitive as you are, it's sometimes a little bit tricky in team sports. Yeah, I think exactly that. And it's probably like you don't look back until you're a little bit older and you realise that probably was was what it is. Um, like in terms of, I was always a very, very good trainer. I suppose like I probably liked the, although I never took to like success very well or winning very well. Um, again, that's probably a good attribute because you're always looking to do better. Least success and winning was solely on me and I got the applause if I won, not the whole team. So that was probably something that I did enjoy. And like I suppose in school, like you're going, you might fight on your Friday night, you're going in on a Monday morning. People are asking, did you win? Did you lose? Obviously, if you if you lose, you're a little bit embarrassed and more reserved in telling people. But if you win, yeah, you're over the moon. You're telling everyone that, yeah, I won on Friday night. And uh, 
so I was like as a kid as well like it's the whole like Rocky thing as well like it's a movie in your head um and that caught my my imagination as a kid yeah I loved the yeah I just yeah I loved that it was on me yeah mm. yeah that's fair I interviewed Damien Hughes at the High Performance Podcast last year and we spoke about his dad was a he ran a boxing gym in the UK mm. and we spoke about the discipline that it takes to be a boxer and I see there's a boxing club near me and they there's a bridge and they're going up and down the steps they're actually some of the hardest it's some of the hardest training I've ever seen what's that discipline like going in as a kid like how do you learn how did you find originally like being so disciplined and going through these really really tough training sessions yeah and again you don't re- you don't realize that until you look back when they're that bit older because as a 10 year old you probably don't know what discipline is or what structure is but i think it's it's that it's the structure of what uh, the boxing clubs give the kids so they know that they're at seven o'clock on say a monday a wednesday and a friday they know if they're late there could be possibilities of doing press-ups or bogeys or whatever it is and they're like life lessons that events you go into adulthood um you can't turn up late for work so you're, you're learning v- valuable lessons as a kid although you don't exactly know that these are life lessons that you learn but the, yeah back to the the whole structure thing that's what probably i loved about it so i knew i was going to train at seven i knew at quarter past seven i'd be doing my shadow boxing that half seven i'd be in the ring uh sparring or whatever it was so i knew what my night was going to be like before i got there and that's something that because they get the best practice of training as a kid anyway even as an adult is the sparring bit getting to hit people so you know that's coming at half seven and you're looking forward to that yeah very good was there anyone in particular a coach or role model wise that you kind of that had an impact on you growing up was there anyone that you can kind of look back on and point the finger to yeah, like I was very, very lucky. I started off in a boxing club called St. Tavis in uh, Dorset Street in Dublin and at the time. So I joined boxing in, it would have been 2002, so 20 years ago. Um, that club was the best club in Ireland at the time or in the top two like every year. So I had like Darren Sutherland who went on and won an Olympic bronze medal. I had a lad called Keith Boyle, Dean Murphy, Cal Bravison. These are all um, elite boxers in Ireland, and they're all at the very, they're all where I am now, basically. And I was a ten-year-old looking in at this, so they were my idols as a kid. I didn't have much like, like the Lucy Floyd Mayweather and all them. They weren't really idols of mine. It was the people that I had in the boxing club. And again, I'm looking back on this twenty years later. I was so lucky to be able to train with the people that I looked up to. And I definitely took inspiration from them. And obviously, like, my goals was always to be an Irish elite champion and an Olympian. That obviously came from the the atmosphere I was in and the people that was around. Like, so my my goals and my dreams were based off what I walked into as a 10-year-old kid. How do you find it now, kind of being on the flip side of that and having kids look up to you as a kind of this... Yeah, it's, no, it's, not that, realize, it's not that I do ever ever really think of, to be honest. But I I suppose like my story of getting the Olympics is a little bit different because I've I've never really had the, the success at international level or I never really had um like I didn't win my first Irish elite title until I was twenty-five. So in terms of like what I probably offer as a role model, it's probably like resilience and keep on knocking at the door and don't give up. It's probably not 
being an Olympic champion or a world champion because I was never that. But the percentage of kids that are going to be a world and Olympic champion um, is very, very minimum. But the percentage of kids that's going to mess up in life and probably want, want to come back and another chance, there's going to be plenty of them. So I suppose my story would offer um, positivity and encouragement to people that are going to mess up down the line. And look, the majority does mess up at least once in our life. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it because mm. there is, you know, people, again, that's going back to your role models, you know, you weren't looking up to the fellas on the TV, you were looking up to the guys that were in the same boxing gym as you. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose like, if you can sort of see yourself in a role model, it's easier to become like them. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Mm. For you then, for your ability, I get the sense, even you mentioned it kind of there and I've heard you speak before, that your ability is mainly based on work ethic rather than you know, talent, natural talent. It's kind of like that quote when hard work be hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. Yeah, like I've like in terms of so if I was a professional fighter, I'd be very, very talented because you need like durability, you need strength, you need endurance to go over the, the longer rounds. Whereas amateur boxing, you need like to be very, very quick. You need to be very, very flexible, very um yeah, very sharp and counter-punching because it's a sprint. It's three, three-minute rounds. And that's not really my game. My game is over the longer distance. Like, um, But, yeah, I realise as a way that I can overcome that. And that's through hard work, through mental strength, through really believing that I can make up for the abilities that I don't have with my mindset. And as I said... I'm more a pressure fight that will work better over 12 rounds, but I can still use that pressure to take people out over three rounds. And that's what I do. Um, sometimes I'm successful at it, other times I'm not. Um, whereas if you're a very, very good technical counter boxer and amateur boxing, you're going to win most of your fights because that's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. I was interested to learn that you actually left boxing in your twenties for a couple of years. You kind of you you didn't you, you didn't pursue it for a while. You were working and uh, you had other things going on. Yeah, it just like it's, yeah. So I sort of stopped. Not that like I was never a hundred percent out of a boxing club. So okay. I sort of stopped really competing at like twenty two, but I'd still be down the club like in drifts and drafts. Again, like I had other things going on. I was one. I was twenty two. Um. I had to put had to earn money. So I was out. I was in a I was doing like an apprenticeship at the time in plumbing. Something that I didn't really like at the time. But that was when when I was like twenty two, we just come out of a recession. So I just took wherever job was gone. Um yeah, I fell away from the sport. Lots of drinking and same doing what you do as a twenty two year old. Um but that's if you're a normal twenty two year old, not an athlete. I probably should have been in the gym. Um, night and day trying to get better at boxing but it wasn't um, and that's just again that's part of my story I went back then at 24 25 and um, I went full full on at being an Olympian but like again there two two to three years that I really lost out on I could have been in this situation a few years earlier and like look obviously you do sort of regret them, but it's part of your story. 
Mm-hmm, exactly. I even interviewed Afrika, one of the rowers, one of the bronze medal in Tokyo, and she said she stepped away for now. It was only a couple of months when she was eighteen. I think it was around the leaving cert. But like it, it happens, you know, people do step away from sport and they come back, and sometimes they're better athletes. But the main thing is they own their story and say, you know, this is you know that time I spent away is still part of my journey. Yeah, and the, look, everyone has a different story. What works on me might work for you, and vice versa. Um. I suppose the main thing is you do eventually come back to it. And if you don't come back to it, it's about like it's about living the best possible life you can do as a person. And for some people, sports may might might not be that. It could be going into business or whatever it is. Or it might just be a normal family life, but it's about um living the best possible life you can. I'm not hundred percent on this, but someone at home like Dan Car Dan Carter, when he was like 30 or 31, he had a good bit of time out through injury or I think it was through injury you had like maybe a year out but I think he sort of said that's part of the reason why he could go on and play till he was a little bit older because he actually had that time out of the sport and where he wasn't getting as much knocks or wherever it may be it made him go on for an extra year or two yeah he actually did a podcast with the high performance guys I'll, you'll have to yeah, give that I one listen a listen to, yeah yeah very good um mm-hmm. what what changed for you what was the spark to come back to the sport was it just kind of this moment of realization and um, what what brought it back for you yeah i suppose like i was not as i said i was never 100 percent away from the sport i was come, but i hadn't fought in two years and i was i was coming to the boxing club and drifts and drafts i wasn't really i wasn't committed um I was, I was just going through a little bit of a tough time mentally and I needed to um so I needed that structure back in my life and I needed something to focus on and all I've re- ever really known from I suppose 14 years of age up I was boxing was my sole sport so I went back um initially I went back I was because there was sort of an opening at my way for the 2016 Olympics and as soon as I came back, I got um, I broke my ankle playing football. So I realised 2016 was completely off the cards. Probably never on the cards in the first place, but that's where I initially come back for. And then I won a tournament in 2016, a month before the Olympics. Um, I was back then, and I beat the number two on Ireland at my weight at the time. Obviously, the number one was going to the Olympics. The number two went to a different competition and I was like Jesus I'm only back training like at this time I was only back training like six to eight weeks and I was at the being the number two in the country I was like if I put my head to it in the next four years there's no reason why I can't become an Olympian and that's gone back to as I was a kid my uh, role models were Olympians they weren't these big professional boxers so I was like yeah that's exactly what I wanted as a kid and it just uh ignited the flame again and I went went after that full throttle. That's actually something I wanted to talk about was your journey to the Olympics. It's probably a different one as you mentioned to everybody else. You even took out credit union loan to back yourself. You didn't have funding mm. up until really 2020, just bef- uh, the year before the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, so again, it was like, it was more, it was a mental thing going after the Olympics. It wasn't, um, it wasn't solely for money or solely for um ego or anything like that or like a, a flex if you want to call it it was solely a mental thing it was a journey for myself and I, I didn't really care if i went broke along the way or um no matter what happened to me all i really cared about was 
if I give a hundred percent of myself for that Olympic cycle again, if I didn't qualify for the Olympics, not that I would wouldn't have been happy with it, but I would have accepted that once I gave one hundred percent to the journey, and I did give a hundred percent to the journey, and that's probably what got me over the line. Um, to get to Tokyo because there was many bumps along the way, um, probably probably a lot more bumps than the ordinary person would have taken. But I had the mental strength and the will to get over the line. Where did you develop that mental strength um, for you? And was it something you always had with something you had to work on? Where Where did that come from? Um, it was something that I had to work on. I didn't always have it. So before that, before the Olympic cycle, it definitely it wasn't something that I had. It could have possibly come from, like, I didn't win an Irish title until I was 20. So I'm thinking the resilience, because I, I never actually thought about it too much, but I'm thinking the resilience could have been coming, could have come from all the championships that I lost on the way up. Like, I lost out on maybe eight Irish titles, eight Irish finals before I actually won them. So if you look back on that, that is building resilience year after year after year after year. At the time, it probably doesn't feel like that. Um, but yeah, I've never actually thought about where I got it from. Looking back, that could be a reason. Another reason could be I just got this goal in my head. Um, and I think it was a it was a journey of changing rather than changing a split in a split second. I think I changed over the whole process of the what would have been four years, end up being five years. Um so yeah, I think I don't think it happened um, overnight. It was a succession of things happening, and that's what le- led to uh, the resilience, I suppose. When you mention all of the setbacks, like eight finals, you're missing out on eight finals, and then win the title. Are you more motivated by the, those setbacks, those times you you might not reach your your goal, or when you win the title? What is it for you? So I had a talk had a talk with a group on Saturday and. Yeah, like it's, winning doesn't overly satisfy me, and this is a, it's a strange feeling because why would you keep going back and back and back and putting your body through this this amount of torture and sacrificing so much in terms of your lifestyle if you never really enjoy the success? Because once I get anywhere near success, or if I do become successful or win something, I'm always thinking in my brain, what's next? I might enjoy it for that night, but I wake up the next morning thinking, what's next? What can I win now? What can I go after? But if I lose something, um, I'll be devastated for weeks or months. So it's like when I'm going after something, it's the fear of failure that probably drives me on more than the the feeling of success. Like I can I can probably remember now off the top of my head a lot more times when I got beaten rather than a lot more times when I won. So, yeah, I think what drives me on in terms of boxing is the fear of failure. Because that's something that kind of came out in your interview straight after your fight in the Olympics. It was, you know, you weren't happy to be an Olympian. You wanted to progress. You wanted to win the fight. But it's kind of like that thing in sport. You kind of get it, you know, you're always looking forward, you know, what's next, what's next, rather than maybe settling in and kind of saying, geez, you know, actually, it's hard to at the time, I suppose, but being able to check the box of being an Olympian. Yeah, like, yeah, of course it's hard at the time. And like, I saw something when I done that talk on Saturday, I just realized myself that maybe I do have to start um, maybe celebrating successes a little bit more. That's something that when I came away from the talk, that's where I thought of straight away because like I even obviously I didn't get that far, but I know if I had a win 
a medal at the Olympics, I would have never been as happy as I should have been. And that's probably a bad trait to have. You should celebrate your successes because, again, you don't know whether they're gonna, when they're going to come again. And that was the last time I was in the boxing ring. So um, if there's an experience that I took from that, it's like you don't know when your career is going to be over. So if I do ever get back in the ring, or even if I don't get back in the ring and it's in terms of business, I do have to um, celebrate the successes, no matter how big or small they are. Absolutely. Mm. That's actually something Brian Gregan, he actually has a similar enough journey to you. He's a, a, the runner. And he kind of said his friend um, kind of said a phrase to him, celebrate every PB as if it's your last. Because for Brian, he had gone through, similar to you, so many injuries, so many setbacks. It was so long for him to go back and running and for you to be, you know, to be an Olympian. You, that was the last time you've actually been in the ring. Mm. Yeah, like again, because at the time when you're boxing or you're running or whatever it may be, you never think unless you're, you're set on this is that my last fight or my last sporting event, I'm going to retire at this. If that's not in your head, you never have the feeling that this is going to be a last time doing it. And one thing that I do miss is I miss being part of that boxing team. Um, I miss the whole structure about me like being part of the Irish team. Although at the time, it's very, very tough and it's very hard on the body. Again, it's, it's hard mentally. The structure of that is something that I do miss a lot. Um, and the, the stuff that you shouldn't really take for granted. Mm-hmm. I was really interested. You spoke about the qualifiers for that um, and how you hadn't actually ever won a medal for Ireland, but you still went to the qualifiers. I, you, I heard it took a quote from it, I believe I can beat anybody. Where does that belief and confidence come from for you? Is that something again that you always had? Did you have to work on it? Was it the setbacks that brought it out for you? Yeah, it's something that I never really had until I came back to boxing. Um, I suppose before that, I never really was 100% ready for a competition. So, And I never went into a competition thinking I was going to really win it. I just went in to enter the competition. And when I came back to the sport and I dedicated so much of my life, I was entering competitions to, to win. So that's where I, I get my confidence from, the preparation. Knowing that I've ticked all the boxes, knowing that I've done all my running, I've slept correctly, I was eating correctly, I was hydrated. Now, all these small boxes, that's where I get me confidence from. If I wasn't prepared, I wouldn't be as confident. And then on top of that, boxing is 1v1. Whereas if you're running or wherever it may be, track and field, um, you know what your PB is and you know what Usain Bolt's PB is. So you know you can't really be Usain Bolt unless he falls during the race. Whereas if you're in a fight, 1v1, one, one one, you could be fighting the best person in the world, but you have your best day and he doesn't have his, you can beat him. Or you can beat whoever it may be. Um, so it's not. Whereas in the likes of athletics, you have, you do, and in boxing, you do have levels, but there can be an upset on the day in terms of other sports, maybe not so so much. Like a lot of the a lot of the Irish runners are um field and track uh, athletes will be there to get PBs or to reach a final. Cause they know um physically they can't be the likes of Usain Bolt. But in boxing you can do that with belief and having a great game plan on the day. That's a great way of looking at it. Mm. I'd never, I'd, I've clearly don't have a background, but yeah. I've never thought of it like that. But that's a, that's a great mindset to have that 
it doesn't matter who you are it's still it's one one and yeah like you know, it's, anything can happen. it is one v one and like if you go into a fight thinking that you're not gonna win the likelihood is you're not gonna win if you go into a fight thinking you're gonna win yeah you might get beaten but you definitely do up the chances of um upsetting the favorite Mm-hmm. Talk us through a, a normal training week for you. Let's say preparing for the Olympics. Talk us through Monday to Sunday. What would you do? What's your training like? Yeah, so it would normally be when I was with the Irish team, we would be out in Abbottstown and we'd be there Monday to Friday. So you would do two sessions Monday to Thursday. So it would normally look like it depends. It could be what would you do? Yeah, you'd probably do running. Monday and Wednesday, and then strength, you'd probably do Tuesday and Thursday, and then you do boxing as well on them days at the later time. So, strength and running in the morning times, you're boxing in the evening time, and then on a Friday, you do one session, and then you'd go back to your club. And I would train on a Saturday morning with my boxing club, and then maybe do some sort of recovery session. Um, stretching out or a, a light run on a Saturday evening and then full day of rest on Sunday Okay, so you're pretty much two days, four four days a week like you have two sessions a day, that's yeah. very intense Yeah, yeah, it's it's very, very intense and um, I suppose like <laughs> looking back maybe I should have been doing a little bit less training because I was a little bit older than all the guys and I probably wasn't individualised as much as, as it should have been um, like an 18 year old 50 kilo man or woman probably has a lot more in the tank than a 31 year old uh, 30 year old at the time at 81 kilos so looking back I probably should have tamed me, me training back a bit but again there's a team of maybe 30 to 40 boxes it's very hard to individualise it yeah eating wise you must have been putting down some serious calories to, to maintain your weight at that training level yeah especially like so when I went up to when I went so I initially boxed at 75 kg and then I went up away and then if you're, if you're, yeah, if you're doing that much training you're talking for me it would have been a minimum of 3000 um, and then probably yeah probably three to 4000 calories not over not a lot for someone that's training that much because at the same time it's a uh, you have to make your way so you can't go really too much over the way but three to four thousand calories is a lot if you're looking at the average person um that that would have been about maintenance level for me and then i probably would have pulled it back a small bit in when i was trying to make weight what what got you out of bed in the morning even now with an injury you know, to do a tough session, you know, I'm sure there was already early morning sessions. What gets you out of bed to, to keep going and to keep training, you know, particularly maybe during the Olympics when it was so up in the air, whether it was going ahead or not with COVID? Yeah, it was it was the preparation phase where I went back to earlier. My confidence comes from preparation. Um, and then, look, well, we're in a lucky position that we could train. train we're training out in Abbottstown with the best fighters in the country with the best coaches with the best facilities so although you've done the work to get yourself there you still can't take them things for granted um and i like training especially now that i'm injured and i'm looking back um i miss the structure as i said i miss the structure of being out with the Irish team i miss the whole um yeah just being around the team and not training on your own um 
looking back, I definitely did take it for granted at the time. But look, training is part of who you are as an athlete. I mean, some people actually probably don't like training. I, I like it. It's t- it is tough at times. Obviously, the likes of running sessions, I get anxiety and all thinking about them. But once they're finished, you're thankful that you're done. It. And again, you're ticking boxes. You're doing stuff that I suppose the ordinary person isn't doing. That's a good feeling. Kevin McManaman was involved uh, with the with the high performance boxing setup. What did he bring to you guys from that mental preparation? Yeah, like obviously I'm a Dublin fan as well, so um, no better man it. to get involved yeah. then, yeah. No better man, like geez, he's like a god to me, uncle. So they were loving that he was part of the team, and yeah, it looks up. Obviously, he's part of the most successful Dublin team ever, um, and you must have serious mental strength to come back year after year after year to and just to even compete, let alone win that many Irish titles. So he obviously had something mentally um, that was very, very strong. And then he's gone off himself and he's educated himself in psychology. So he brings the education along with the experience and you can't beat that. And on top of that, he's a very, very sound lad. So he's easy to get on with even outside of the professional setting. So... If you're just talking in terms of you're at a training camp or whatever it may be. Was, is there any particular um, mental preparation that you do? Any techniques that you found helpful? Visualisation. I know you mentioned ticking off the boxes. That's something that a lot of athletes do. Is they actually write down what they're doing and tick it off. Was there anything you specifically do? From that yeah, so I do some of that myself where you, you tick her off. But I find sometimes like you might write something down. You don't look at it for three months. It's like I was missing in the back of your notebook. Um I suppose when I was injured, I'd be doing a lot of like looking at boxing because like coming up to the Olympics, I couldn't punch. We were in a training camp and I actually wasn't really trained because Michelle. Um so yeah, I done a lot of like even with Kevin, I'd done a bit of visualization where he would go over the three rounds where he'd be talking me through it. Like, it might be I'm with my eyes closed and he's gone over me throwing combinations and I'm thinking of that in my head. Just so you can, I suppose, get some sort of stimulus um, that I wasn't really getting in in training. And you'd have it like where it'd be the, that because we do three, three minute rounds. So the bell would start round one. You'd go through for three minutes. You'd get your minute break, another three minutes, that for three rounds. I find that did help. Um, I suppose for myself, now that I'm away from that structure, um, what I'm doing to try to keep me myself mentally engaged in the sport is I'm down in the boxing club anytime it's training. I'm not boxing at the moment, but I'm looking at the lads and the girls training three, four nights a week. Um, and my whole, I suppose, point of that is at the moment I physically can't box, which is obviously upsetting, but if I mentally come away from the sport as well, if I ever tried to come back, it would be, it'd be very, very hard to come back. Okay, yeah, that's a good way of looking at mm. it. I know you were sparring with them. Um, you couldn't you couldn't really box going into preparation for the Olympics, but you were sparring with Amy Broadhurst and Lisa O'Rourke, who have both now gone on to be world champions, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, so I, what happened was I, I had a um, shoulder injury and two elbow injuries. So... I couldn't spar any of the lads just because the force would have been too much on the shoulder and the elbow. So I just done, I think it was two spars with the girls where 
they couldn't even go full on me because if they did, it would have been too much for. So it was just, it was very, very easy in terms of um, effort that we all put in. But like what a, a great decision by the Irish team to bring the two girls to the pre-camp because less than a year later, they're both world champions. Look, that's not solely down to boxing Ireland bringing them to the pre-camp. It's, it's down to the girls' work ethic and... Um, the time and effort that they put into the sport so yeah it's if that sounds great they have two already champions from from ireland something that hasn't probably been done before well hasn't been done before with the olympics how did you find mixing with with team ireland i know with covid these were all in different camps and it was all a little bit different but after kind of towards the end of the games when you were all done you think you were out saying you were mixing with maybe the hockey players and all the different athletes how yeah, was that to be I, to be in the village yeah sorry for putting hobby yeah yeah, it, no, it was actually good because it, it's a bit strange because we we had all trained out in Abbottstown for like the last four years and weirdly enough, like there's no really like association with the teams out there. Like you might walk by and it might be an awkward or oh, how's it going or hey, you don't really know anyone on a personal level. Sort of um, sports just stick between themselves, which is probably a bad thing when you're looking at it. It would be good to integrate with each other. Um, I suppose when we got to Tokyo, yeah, we we were because yeah, Team Ireland and you're associating as Team Ireland, not as boxing, hockey, athletics. You're all one. There was more of um, a relationship and getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. What's been? I've you're actually the first boxer I've had on, which is mad because I always plan on getting someone on before this. But um, can you break kind of the biggest misconception of boxers? Is there anything that you hear? You're like that is really untrue about the sport or about us as as athletes. Um, I can't really think of that off the top of my head, like, but I suppose it's probably a little bit different to most sports in Ireland where it's nearly purely working class. Like you're not really going to get much boxing clubs in um, middle and higher classes because it's just, it is a, it's a, it's a working class, class sport. Um, that is slowly changing, though, which is probably a good thing because you want your sport to reach every corner of the country. Um, yeah, it's, it's nothing really that I can think of, but yeah, it's mostly working class at the moment, but look, that will change over time. And um, Look, look, the sport's even grown on the female, so I don't believe we have one of the best female um, countries in the world at boxing. Yeah, brilliant. For you, whether it's with training or stepping inside the ring, is it more of a mental or a physical challenge, boxing? What do you think? Um, yeah, it's it's more of a mental challenge. I've seen I've seen boxers that have been technically very very good, and they know how to they know how to hold themselves in sparring and in training. And wherever rate for whatever reason, the second they come into a fight, they just fall apart. They and sometimes that's just in you. It's the fight or flight. Um. Like it's not a good feeling knowing someone can potentially hurt you or you can get beaten up in front of all your friends and family. And yeah, I do. I know yeah, a good few people that are good in training and they can't bring the training into, into the actual competition, which is mm-hmm. sad because they have a lot of ability, but mentally they're just not strong enough or they're just afraid. Mm-hmm. Is resilience the biggest lesson you've learned from boxing, or is there something else that's kind of stuck out for you? Um, I suppose, re- yeah, resilience is the biggest. Just having that ability to stick at something long enough, 
even though you can't see the end line throughout the journey. Um, and that's probably where a lot of people probably fall away from their dreams and their goals is they're not seeing results straight away. They're not being consistent enough and sticking at it. And as I said, ticking boxes, they're consistent, consistently doing that over time. That's what will get you results. It might take, it might take longer than three months, six months, a year. But having that resilience to stick around, especially when things get hard, it's easy to, it's easy to throw the throw the towel in when things get hard. But um, the likelihood if you're looking for results, you have to stick around all the time. Mm-hmm. I know we were originally got in t- contact talking about podcasts, and you've gotten really into them recently. Is there any particular uh, lessons or anything you've just taken away from podcasts recently that you've just found really helpful or just interesting to listen yeah, to? Yeah, so I was talking about the Dan Carr, the one that I lived, listened to on the High Performance Podcast and something that I had done coming up to the Olympics was like I would journal out my week. So in my notepad, I'd know exactly what I'm doing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And that just gave me a little bit more of accountability and uh, on top of the accountability, it gave me structure throughout the week so I didn't Things weren't happening last second and I wasn't prepared. And I suppose post-Olympics, I went off that and I haven't done it. And I only listened to the Dan Carter podcast on like Friday and this week I'm back on, I'm on track, track of things. So I've got the journal back out and just just hold myself a little bit more accountable to, um, to having structure throughout my week. Okay, brilliant. I know we were chatting a bit before we hit record that um, your plans was to go to professionally. Obviously the injury has kind of put a spanner in the works in that in that sense but can you share with us kind of your goals or plans moving forward yeah like I I don't know what's going to happen in terms of boxing um, but what I do know is what you learn through sport can transfer to other parts of your life um, eventually I do want to own a gym so obviously the last four or five years I've learned a lot of lessons Um I also network with a lot of people in them four or five years that can help me business was so I'm definitely going to dip the toes into the possibility of opening a gym, um, especially with the experience that I have in uh, in sport and being around high performance. Um, I can, I think I can offer a good, uh, I can make a, make a good gym and offer something good to clients. So that's something that I'm thinking about. Boxing-wise, I don't know. Like I'm, as I said, I'm 18 months injured now at the moment. Sometimes um, the body just isn't going to let you. But I'm going to see a shoulder specialist now in the next week or two and get his opinion on it. Okay, very good. But that story is still being written. We'll uh, we'll move on to the mm. sideline seven. It's the same seven questions at the end of every episode. Uh, question one, what is your favourite quote? Um, so I've said this before with a few friends. I'm just messing. It was like, uh, smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. Okay, you just said a mess, and but like when you actually think in into it, um, and I'm not talking about from skill wise, I'm talking mentally here. It does because like the tough road, the long road, whatever you want to call it, it learns you so much life lessons, and the amount of life lessons that I've learned throughout the four or five years, um, after going after going for the Olympics, um, there's something that's going to help me as I said, going into business, going into later life, and it's something that's going to stand to me. So not that if, I suppose, if you're someone else and things are tough, there's always a lesson to learn from it. Brilliant. I actually picked one out from your uh, Instagram bio, Better People Make Better Athletes. That's actually something yeah. I heard Jim Gavin speak about recently. 
Yeah, and that as well. So that would have been like, um, although we were in an individual sport in terms of boxing, we train as a team. And one bag bad egg can upset the the whole the whole structure of the team. How people are feeling coming into training. We've all been there. We've worked with someone, or we've trained with someone that you just don't like being around. And then, like, you don't like being around them. You might finish up training a little bit early just because you don't want to stick with them. That's gonna have a knock on effect on other people's performance. So, yeah, better people do make better athletes, and they make better teams as well. Brilliant. Question two, what's the best sporting event you've been to? And you can pick one as a fan and one as like a boxing event you were involved in. Yeah, so that would be two. I'd say like, I was obviously there when Kelly won the Olympic gold medal and I'm friends with Kelly and I've trained her for like 10 years. So for me, that was exceptional to see. But there there was no fans there. There was no crowd there. But on a personal level, I was so proud of her and it it was great to see. And then... Two, I was at the Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano fight in New York. And as a spectacle, that was the best event I was ever at um, in terms of atmosphere. Um, the crowd itself was probably like maybe 60% Irish, 40% Puerto Rican. The fight itself was 50-50. So it just made for a special atmosphere and something that I don't think I'll ever um, get to witness again. Brilliant. Uh, question three, what's been the biggest setback or challenge so far in your career and how did you react to it? It's the biggest setback is obviously the injuries I had. Um, so you're talking about if coming up to the biggest moment of your life, qualify, to try qualify for the Olympic Games and we're in six months, you catch COVID, get two elbow injuries, a rib injury and a shoulder injury. Um that was very, very challenging mentally to try to stay on top of things. And as I said, I'm mentally strong, but to know when your body's breaking down and still being able to trigger over the line, that's a very, very tough task, especially when I had said earlier, I've never won a medal for Ireland. So to trigger over that line and to try still have that belief when literally nothing else can go can go wrong. Um, so that would be... Yeah, the toughest, toughest task that I've ever done. And as well as besides that, um, probably coming back to boxing. Because at the time I was living um, a life of probably partying and drinking too much. So to turn around and completely change your, your lifestyle is something that I'm very proud of. Brilliant. Looking back, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Yeah, again, that would be to back yourself and take risks earlier. Don't care what other people think. Um, because like as well, like going after that Olympic goal, I done that at 25 and I really did back myself. As I said, I took out loans. I went financially broke for it. I really backed myself and I, I really believed I was going to go over the line. If I hadn't done that seven years earlier, life could have been um, probably a lot easier. I probably could have gotten getting to the Olympics a lot earlier. Um, yeah, so yeah, back yourself. Brilliant. I actually ma- managed to skip one by accident. Uh, what's your <laughs> biggest achievement in or outside the ring? Biggest achievement would be qualifying. Yeah, that would be qualifying. Yeah, obviously, I've just saw, I've, saw I've answered that question already with the the injuries that I had and the setbacks that I had to to qualify, basically. 
if you want to call it disabled in terms of boxing ability because I only had had one good shoulder, had two bad elbows and one bad shoulder. Um, to grow over the line and not being able to train and compete was was something special and something that I'll never forget. Outside of boxing, there's not really there's not really much going on like in terms of look, I'm very good with my family and I'm a very good mm-hmm. uncle to my nephews, something that I'm very proud of. So yeah, being a good role model to my nephews is something is an achievement that I'm very happy about. Brilliant. Question six, who would be your dream dinner guest and why? Um you probably one of two people, Roy Keane and Michael Jordan. Roy Keane again, I've I supported Manchester United as a kid and he was my idol growing up. He was win at all costs. Um put the team before himself. We can always remember the semi finals against Juventus where he got a yellow card and it meant he was going to miss the final and he went out and had the best game of his life. Um, and then he's also funny as well on top of it with his punditry. So, yeah, it'd be a bit of crack. And then Michael Jordan, again, he's the ultimate winner. Again, he's he's done so much to put himself in the best position. He, not, like, he didn't only look at himself, he looked at the people around him. He was making sure he was surrounded with the best people. He was making sure his manager had the best people in the best positions. Like he was like a player, a captain, a manager, everything all rolled into one. Um, obviously, there's pros of that, that he became probably the best best ever um, basketballer. There's negatives. He was probably wasn't really liked by much people. Um, I would imagine it's a very, very lonely life when you're that driven for success. Well, he's, a, he's a person that I'd love to pick his mind. I presume you watched the last answer, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's class. A, it's class, but you can you can see from that how driven he is. Like his how everything he done revolved around being the best NBA player ever, and he realized to be the S, the best NBA player, he had to have the best players around. Him. And that's something that a lot of people don't don't really look at. They probably think to be the best player, or oh, you have to be the best. But yet, that is true. You also have to have the best players around you, the best backroom staff around you, the best manager around you, best agents. Everything has to be top quality. Absolutely. Final question before I let you go. If your life was a book, what chapter would this be called? Right now, yeah, I thought about this uh, resilience. The last year has been very, very tough. Obviously, I've been the longest I've been in all the sports since I've came back and I haven't been in a ring to actually spar out of like I haven't even sparred in a year. Um, I think it was a year last week when I was fought in Tokyo. So it's been very, very tough. And a lot of the times it looks like the show is getting a little bit better, and then you get a knockback and you're back two or three months. I got an operation in January. I'm flirting with the idea of getting another operation now in the next month. Um I suppose even in terms of work, so I'm a personal trainer and I, I, I'm a boxing coach. I can't really work, so the the potential to bring in money isn't really there, but I'm looking at other options now and I'm not going to let the last year um, define me or stop me from getting to where I want to be. Like Post-Olympics, you have so much exposure the chances of making money post-Olympics is great and all that was sort of took away from me, but I'm still optimistic and I'm still positive that I'm going to 
have a successful life and whatever, um, whatever thing I go into. Brilliant. Well, I just want to wish you the best of luck with wherever life takes you in boxing and outside. And Emma, thanks again for joining me in the podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me. A big thank you to Emma for joining me on the podcast today. I thoroughly enjoyed our chat and I hope you got something from it. I'll be sure to leave all of his social media links in the description box below. And I just want to wish him the very best of luck with his injury. If you are enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate if you leave a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as it does help the show grow. Be sure to check out our social media channels for more, and as always, thank you for listening.